As we welcome along today our vet, Dr. Kimberly Earle, and today a very interesting one. It is that season, tick season, Kimberly. We are just starting to get into tick season, so we want everybody to be prepared, get their tick prevention plan in place for their pets, definitely. And a very special guest joining Julie Tolliday from Bark is in Balance, Suzanne Madden. Tell us a little bit about her. She represents the Delta Society, and a lot of people know the name Delta Society. Their, their biggest call to fame is that they have therapy dogs going out to visit people who are in homes or hospitals. So we're going to talk to her. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the two of you. And we've got our special guest, Suzanne Madden, joining us right now. Julie, tell us a little bit about Suzanne. Well, Suzanne's representing the Delta Society for us today, particularly our Newcastle branch. And I just thought people might like to know the lovely work that they do. So hi, Suzanne. Julie, how are you going? I'm well, thanks. And look, Delta is a name that's probably known to a lot of people in the dog, really in the dog industry, but maybe there are some out there who'd like to know a little bit more. Can you just tell me, first of all, like what's the overall goal of Delta Society? Like what do they do? So the Delta Society is primarily about the animal and person bond. And how they do that is by training animals and their owners um, to work in a voluntary capacity in nursing homes, aged care facilities, etc., as pets as therapy-style dogs um, to bring a bit of joy and happiness to people there. And where did this idea come from? Well, it's been around for quite a long time. It originally um, came from the United States, but um, it's certainly been in Australia for the last few years. I think it was around the 1990s that we started it up here um, in Australia. And so what, what's involved for a, um, a volunteer and their dog? What do they do? So... The aim of the, um, the therapy dogs program is for people and their animals to go and visit people, as I said, in nursing homes or aged care facilities, hospitals, mental health facilities as such. And what they have to do is they have to have a dog, obviously, that enjoys people. Um, they go and visit those people. Um, sometimes they might be involved in a little bit of physical therapy by throwing balls or things like that. But generally, they, um, they're there to share their dog with the um, with the people in the facilities and you know just to bring a little bit of touch into the situation that's not a medical touch people enjoy that having a, an animal to cuddle and love and uh, especially those people who may have had to leave their animal at home when they went into a facility or they've lost an animal a little while ago so it's about bringing a bit of joy and happiness and the therapy that an animal can bring just it's, It just sounds like such beautiful work. I can't wait till I'm retired and I can do it. <laughs> and tell me, what qualifications does the dog have to have? Well, no formal qualifications, but no. they do have to be a well-behaved dog, um, as you would understand, especially going into an aged care facility. If they're a bit too bouncy, they may jump up on an older person who has very fragile skin. Yeah. So it's really important that the dog is obedience-trained, Um, that they understand that the owner, they take guidance from the owner. They're able to sit, to come, to heal, walk nicely on a lead and also that they don't get too concerned about the strange sights, sounds and smells that you might encounter when you're in a a hospital facility or or an aged care facility. And you also spoke about they're meant to uh, refuse food on the ground. Oh, that's right. Yes, that's one of our favourite ones. Um, part of the assessment is that the, the dogs um, don't pick up food um, laying on the ground. 
And that's really important when they're visiting in a hospital or an aged care facility because, you know, there is the possibility that there could be medication um, or some other substance on the ground that could be really dangerous to them. So they have to be dogs that are able to um, exercise a bit of self-control. Oh, so you probably don't take in Labradors till they're really old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're our challenge, but um, no, we do have Labradors um, who are are Delta dogs. um, So that just goes to prove that anything's possible. That's wonderful. And tell me, what's the time commitment for the people, the volunteers? So for each visit, um, it's recommended that the visit goes for about an hour to an hour and a half. We don't want to overstress the dogs. Um, they just get so much excitement and joy out of it. They usually leave exhausted. So it's only usually an hour to an hour and a half that we would ask people to commit to. Well, and certainly that's a very reasonable time. And of course, for the two-legged volunteers, what do they get out of it? Well, I think um, for me certainly one of the the most memorable things in visiting in an aged care facility is that on the day that you go, because we you know like people to go on a uh, regular day, um, when you get to the to the front door of the aged care facility, the people are all waiting, sitting in the foyer, and you know the word goes along like Chinese whispers: the dogs here, the dogs here, mm-hmm. um, and there's just a, a, a ripple of excitement and joy. Um, on the day that the dog visits and even just relating that to you now I'm getting sort of pins and needles all over because it it's just so lovely to be able to bring that happiness to to people that perhaps don't get a lot of happiness yeah look it's just wonderful I really do mean that one day I am going to do it and (laughs) but you spoke of a waiting list of these facilities oh look we've always got a waiting list Julie we've got a lot of facilities who would love to have uh, a volunteer visiting team in the pet therapy team Um, but like all of us our dogs and our people do age and their circumstances change so we're always looking for volunteers um, to to join the Delta team. Well I'm hoping there's some people listening out there who say well my dog's not that special but he would behave and love to visit some people who'd like to see him so how would they apply and how would they start the ball rolling for themselves? So probably the the easiest way to do it is to go on to the Delta Society website um, and that's just www www.deltasociety.com.au and on there that it lays out for you exactly what your dogs need to do. Um, we have an assessment locally here in Newcastle so once people have thought yes I think that might be for me they fill out a form online and then we get back to them and let them know when that assessment's coming up. Well, what lovely, lovely work. And I really think that an hour to an hour and a half, that's just like your lunchtime a little bit, little bit more, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah. And uh, it's such a, it's a lovely thing. I mean, often when you visit, um, doesn't matter whether it be in a hospital or an aged care facility, it's the only non-medical touch that some of these mm. people experience mm. in a day. And just to see that how that lifts their mood in an aged care facility when you're leaving at the end of the visit people are chatting they're talking about their dogs they're talking about your dog and it just brings joy yes well i hope that one day i can bring that joy because i love to share my dog (laughs) charles woolly with everybody and um and i've seen other people doing it too so hopefully people have got those details just say the website again yes sure so it's www.com 
www.ngo.org.au. Fantastic, Suzanne. Thanks for talking to us. That was great. Gave me pins and needles too. Okay. okay. Thanks, okay. Julie. And every dog is special. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank, Thank you. And Gary joins us now from Gateshead. Hello, Gary. Hi, guys. How are you going? Hi, we're good. Thanks, Gary. How can we help you today? Um, we've got an 18-month-year-old 18, 18 uh, Irish wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... Just the other day, it um, actually got a small gash on its front, sort of, I guess you call it the shin bone. Yep. Um, playing with an old fence. Um, growing up, we were always told that uh, dogs looking to wounds was their way of repairing them. I know all the dogs I've had, they've, um, the smaller cuts I've had have managed to heal up pretty quick yep. from them licking them. Right. I was just wondering, um, it's about probably 20 mils along the shin bone and about 10 mil wide. Yeah, so it's okay. a little bit sort of got a bit of width to it and it's a little yep. bit sort of a deeper cut than most I've had. Um, is letting the dog just lick the wound um, sufficient, do you think, or is this something no, it's, 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 pictures or? Yeah, it's actually, it's actually um, counterproductive to let them lick the wound. So that's actually a bit of a, um, a myth that lick dogs licking okay. their wounds is a good thing. So when they're licking the wound, so they lick it because it's irritated and it might smell a bit good and dogs don't really have a very good sense of self. So there's, there's actually pretty... Um, uh, dramatic stories of dogs, you know, doing a lot of damage to their own wounds. Um, but, but really, when they're licking it, they're disrupting the cells that are trying to cross that gash to try to heal it up. So it's really important that they're not licking it. They're also inoculating the wound with the bacteria from their mouth. And I know everybody says that cats' mouths are dirty and dogs' mouths are clean, but that's really a very relative statement. Um, cats' mouths are, are a lot, you know, have a lot more... Um, nasty bacteria in them, but dogs' mouths are full of bacteria as well. So what I would say is the very first thing to do is to, to stop the dog from licking the wound is probably pop up to your local vet and get an, an e-collar, an Elizabethan collar or the cone of shame yep. um, and get that onto him. And then yep. if you think that... Um, so most wounds will heal on their own, okay? But you've got a wound on a leg and there's not a lot of extra tissue on the leg and so they tend to um, be a lot more gaping. There's not a lot of extra stretch um, and it's also a fairly high motion area. So um, it may be worthwhile having it looked at. Um, they might just say, you know, it's a few days old already, we're just going to, um, you know, let it heal on its own with or without some antibiotics depending on what it looks like. Um, but if it's, a, if it's a fairly deep sort of wound, um, you'll get a much faster heal by stitching it if it's if it's an appropriate wound. It's hard to say without without looking at it. Um, a lot of wounds will heal without, you know, stitches, but they will often take a lot longer. Three, three weeks to four weeks would not be uncommon. But we definitely need to prevent him from licking at it. And then just generally trying to keep it nice and clean. So um, we don't need to do too much bathing of it if it's a sort of a clean site and doesn't have a lot of dirt in it. Um, but if it's dirty, we want to try to, you know, rinse it out with some, some fresh water and um, just try to keep it relatively dry and clean. And joining us right now from our Katie Avail is Ron. Hello, Ron. Hello. Hi, Ron. How are you doing? Jake Kimberley, is it? It is, yes. Oh, thanks, Kimberley. I, uh, we've got, we've all, like I say, we've always had dogs. We've got a dog we've had for eight years. Mm-hmm. He's, um, um, his papers say that he's a foxy cavalier. Okay. But he definitely doesn't look anything like a cavalier. <laughs> but um, one of the vets that we had him to said that he's got stuffy in him. Okay. Um, He's had trouble for quite a while about his ears. Right. We've had him for different medication, which hasn't worked. My wife has been putting warm olive oil in his ears to see if that'll help. But also, underneath his front legs, it's quite raw, it's quite inflamed. Yeah. And um, 
We, my wife's been bathing him with warm, salty water. Okay. But he's still got that problem. Yeah. Okay. So listen, it sounds like if he's had it for a long time, there's a very good chance that he's a dog that has what we call allergic skin disease. Okay. Allergic skin disease comes up for a number of reasons. It's unfortunately a condition that we have to manage through the entirety of the dog's life. We're never going to cure it. We're always going to be managing it. Um, it's helpful to try to work out what the dog is allergic to, and, and there's a bit of a process for doing that with your regular veterinarian about going through trying to work out what the dog is allergic to. Um, it's really, really important. We've got immaculate flea control on these dogs, even if they're not allergic to fleas, um, but it's really, really important that we've got a, a really, really good flea control program. So talk to your vet about that. It sounds to me, um, I wouldn't use a lot of olive oil in the ears. That's going to keep them really moist, and what we usually want is to try to dry the ears out a bit okay um, and so if the one medication hasn't worked your vet might need to do a culture where they actually take a sample and send it to the lab and try to grow it and see what kind of antibiotics it's sensitive to because that can be really really useful and dogs that have had chronic ear infections sometimes will develop bacterial resistance to some of the antibiotics that we use so it, it sounds like he needs another trip to a vet um, you want to, you know, ask for a really good workup for allergic skin disease. So that might be ear cultures, definitely some antibiotics for the skin because if we've got those, um, you know, ears and skin being affected, it's almost always the same sort of thing. But unfortunately, never a quick and simple uh, solution. We're going to have to sort of make a plan for a long-term um, management for your dog, okay? All right, Rod, thank you for that. Let's make our way to Raymond Terrace. That's where Lorna's waiting patiently. Hello, Lorna. How can we help today? Um, I have a rottweiler and he has a very large lump on his rear leg. It's at least the size of a golf ball. It yep. doesn't bother him at all. We've okay. poked around at it and he's had it for quite a while. It just seemed to appear. It didn't okay. get, seem to get bigger overnight. It just was there one day. Okay. Or we just noticed it one day. I'm wondering what would it be and would it be any sort of problem to is him? Yeah, so how old is your dog? Oh, he's old. He's um, old, nine, yeah. Nine, ten, okay. yeah, something like that. So listen, it, it can be a number of things. Some of them, um, you know, something like a lipoma, which is a very um, benign fatty tumor. They can come up sometimes on the limbs, on the back leg. Um, but we certainly can see a lot more serious things, mast cell tumors, soft tissue sarcomas, hemangiomas, things like that that can be on the leg um, that are certainly worthwhile having checked out. And it might be as simple as your vet putting a needle into um, into the mass, trying to collect a few cells, spreading it on a slide and going, oh, this is just a fatty tumor, nothing to worry about, provided it's not causing any mobility issues for him. Uh, mm -hmm. But certainly some of those things, mast cell tumors, things like that, they're always best seen to when they're small because so they could, can be a problem. If some, sorry, if yep. it's something like that, that's a, like a, a problem thing, yep. wouldn't it be showing some... No. Does, does it feel hard or, or is it... What, what does it feel like, Lorna? Is it hard or soft? <laughs> No, it's reasonably soft. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. they can they can be um they can be quite um mild and quiescent for a long time on the surface, but underneath they can be quite invasive. So it might not be causing him any grief, but it could be slowly sort of spreading little minute little tentacles through the tissues and spreading through other parts of his body. So we would always recommend every lump and bump should be um, aspirated and have you know looked at by your vet just to make sure it's not something that we're concerned about. Now, Kimberly, this time of the season is tick 
season. That's tick not a good one. Starting tick season starting. So um, I think it starts earlier and earlier every year. Certainly, we're hearing um, reports of tick cases already. I think in the Newcastle area, we can see them all year round, but they really start to ramp up in September, um, all the way through to probably February. So we want to make sure that everybody's got their dogs protected. Um, lots of different products available. There's some really great new products available that are chewable tablets that'll do fleas and ticks for longer durations. Most of your top spots, if you're going to use them for tick prevention, have to be applied every fortnight, religiously, every fortnight. Should, are you looking for a continuous coverage? Absolutely. Or you must be diligent and keep doing it? And well, doing it? well, both. I mean, you know, if you're, so if you're using a top spot, some of our older products, you've got to be doing it, repeating every fortnight. Um, and they're an aid to prevention of tick paralysis. Um, some of the newer products are, are oral tablets, so you can give them monthly. There's one that's a three-monthly one. Um, I think these ones, we haven't been through a full tick season with them, but so far they look pretty good. Um, I would always say there's nothing that's guaranteed. The Australian paralysis ticks are nasty, nasty little critters. So the best line of defense is always to be searching your pet. So what we call finger walking, take tiny little steps, um, start at the nose of your dog, work all the way down, make sure you get really good looking around the ears, under the neck, in the armpit areas, things like that. Statistically, 80% of ticks are found on the front half of the body. But that means that 20% are still found on the back half of the body. So checking your dog um, daily or certainly every second day. The ticks actually need to be on the dog for usually three to four days before the dogs will show clinical signs, okay? Um, the other thing that we hear people say, oh, I found a tick on my dog and I pulled it off and I'm just going to see you know, how it's going. It's not too badly affected. I'll just see how it's going. So we need to remember that the poison that's in the tick, once you pull the tick off, there's still about 12 hours um, left of medicine or, or poison, sorry, not medicine, but poison in the in the dog um, that hasn't yet attached to the nerve cells and so we can still see them deteriorate for about 12 hours afterwards so if your dog's showing any clinical signs or your cat um, we we always say they need to be treated actually getting the tick is not easy Getting them off, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's not the most critical thing. So we want to try to to pull them off without, um, you know, sort of squishing them because we can inject more venom into them that way. Um, I would still always say it's better to get them off than not. So I mean, it's very easy if you find a tick on your dog, you can you can get these little tick um, tick twister things, which look like a little tiny miniature sort of fork, and you sort of scoop them out underneath. You sort of scoop them in between the um, the the tines, and then you sort of flick the tick out, um, and that's quite an easy thing to do. Most pet shops and vet um, vet hospitals would have those, and you can have them on hand. They don't cost very much money, and four or five dollars. Um, you can you can certainly bring your pet in. Say, I found a tick on my dog. If you're worried about you know taking it out, you can bring them into any vet hospital. Nurses can do that. They're very good at it. Um, if you're not going to be able to get into a vet hospital, you know very quickly, just get it off the dog. Um, so ideally, you're lifting from underneath, but you know it's just better to get them off. And everybody gets really worried about leaving mouth parts in and things like that. If they get a little abscess in the skin, um, you know, it's a little superficial infection, it'll go away. If you've got the tick paralysis toxin circulating through your dog's bloodstream for, for an extra four hours, that's going to really have a, a really detrimental effect to the pet. So it's better to just get them off. Julie Tolliday, now let's look at this, our Pet Rescue Animal of the Week. What have we got, a doggy or a moggy? It's a moggy and her name is Little Grey and she's, an, well they say she's nine months old but she was born in September last year so she might be nearly, it's nearly her birthday <laughs> and she has a long slender frame and fine features. She's quiet and not demanding, which is nice to hear, and loves a pat when you give her attention. She would love a home with an older cat, so that's nice if there's a cat out there looking for a, a, a mate um, and that she could snuggle in with them. Uh, very vocal at dinner time and loves her seafood, especially tin tuna when she can get it. 
Uh, she's placid, keeps to herself and prefers the company of other cats. And it sounds like an especial human friend, so somebody who's looking for that companion for themselves. Uh, little Grey's desexed, vaccinated, microchipped, worm and flea treated, and they'd like her rehomed as an inside cat. And her adoption fee is $150. And you can see her and more details about her at the 2NURFM website. Just go exactly to uh, right. Pet yep. Chat there and you'll find out. Yep. Now, before we go any further, we had yes. a nice warm day yesterday, a yes. good hint and indication to what's to come with us. As soon as we get a nice day, people like to go to the beach and they we like to take indeed. our dogs with us. I'll ask you first, Julie, then we'll come for the vet's point of view. Taking the dogs to the beach, some behavioural issues? You need to actually teach them the behaviours you want on the beach before you even go there, how many people go to the beach, let their dogs off, and then they say he wouldn't come back? So you need a long line and to practice with the dog when the beach isn't very exciting or maybe maybe even practice out in the car park first, getting the dog to come back. You need to also watch your dog and see whether they look like they're wanting to engage or whether they're just wanting to hide behind your legs. And the other thing that you can't take much control of is other people on the beach who are a bit blasé and they go, no, he's great, don't worry, you know, he's all right, and your dog's not enjoying it. No. So, yeah, there's more to look out for than you think, and maybe the beach isn't the ultimate for you and your dog. What about a veterinary aspect for it, Kimberly, Mm -hmm. taking the dog to the beach? Yeah, so we always want to make sure that um, all the stuff that Julie said, but we also want to make sure that um, dogs going to the beach are appropriately vaccinated. Beaches have a lot of high traffic, um, so puppies are not really good candidates until at least two weeks after they've had their final puppy vaccination. So those are going to usually be puppies over four months of age. Um, There are some, some potential hazards at the beach as well, so puffer fish. Um, you know, pufferfish toxicity is is um, very dangerous. Um, there's lots of uh, rubbish at the beach that puppies and dogs can get into. Um, glass sometimes. I've seen dogs that get um, cut. They're running along the beach and they get cut with glass, things like that. Um, I think a lot of people want to, you know, get their dogs swimming. Um, and I would say, great. If your dog's happy to go in the water, that's great. Please don't ever force your dog into the water and particularly young puppies. So, um, you know, a lot of times puppies are not very confident around water, often until they're, um, you know, towards the end of their first year. And one of the worst things you can do is to pick your dog up who's scared of the water, pick them up and toss them in, um, that's really going to damage them in terms of their willingness to go into the water sometimes for the rest of their life. So if they're interested in it, that's great. Get them used to it in small steps. The beach can be very intimidating. There's a lot of activity, a lot of other dogs. And so um, I think exactly what Julie said, watching your dogs for the cues that it's really stressed and that it's not enjoying it. And you might need to just, you know, warm them up to being at the beach. So maybe just five minutes on the first day and 10 minutes on the second day and um, ideally trying to find find one or two other dogs that your dog seems to be getting on with and try to go into your own little corner over there. Some great tips there and the Mm. preparation for the beach at home. Prepare mm-hmm. before you head off. That's a great yes. idea. Yep. Julie Tolliday from Bark is in Balance. Thank you so much. This could be your last show here it today. It could be my last show. You've been wonderful yes. for us. Thank you Thanks, so much. Dave. We're going to miss you, but we hope yeah. you don't go too far away and you might come back no, again. No, no, I'm always available if you want to give me a call. Very good. <laughs> okay. And for our vet, Dr. Kimberly Earl, thank you so much for today. You'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Yes, I will. Well.